Second Chronicles chapter 20, and I'm just going to call this sermon, Fix Your Eyes. So it, I'm just going to jump right in the middle of all this, right in the middle of a prayer of King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he says this in verse 12, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. What's happening here is that King Jehoshaphat is king of Judah. He's been surrounded by enemy armies. He's completely outnumbered and surrounded, and there's no hope of victory, really. Now, the story of Jehoshaphat is an interesting story. He was son of Asa, and he was a king who... Uh, implemented reforms, godly reforms in the nation of Judah. He took down the Asherah poles and the places of pagan worship. But he wasn't 100% there. There were some things he didn't do and some ways he really failed God. The biggest way was probably in his association with the kings of Israel. He became friends with Ahab king of Israel. And that turned out to be a bad deal for him because Ahab asked him if he would join with him and then his son married Ahab's daughter. So they became family then. And then Ahab asked if he would join him in battle. And Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat says, yeah, absolutely I'll join you in battle. And, but, but Jehoshaphat knew enough to know to seek God. If he had a strong point, it was, he knew to seek the Lord. So he told, uh, or he asked Ahab, he said, are there any prophets? Can we hear a word from the Lord before we go into battle? And so 400 prophets showed up. And this four, these 400 prophets showed up, and they all said, yes, go into battle. God is going to give you great victory. And then Jehoshaphat, I think he knew enough of God to know that these guys were full of baloney. And so he asked the king Ahab, he said, is there not a prophet of God? And Ahab said, well, there's one guy. But all he does is prophesy negative stuff. And Jehoshaphat's like, come on, bring him in, man. And, uh, and Ahab, Ahab knew what was going on here. So they bring in this prophet named Micaiah. And he says, oh, God says go, it's going to be great. You're going to have great victory. And Ahab says, stop lying to us. The prophet says, okay. God says, I'm going to draw you out on the battlefield so I can destroy you. I saw the throne of God. I saw God and this is what he was saying. And he said, send out a lying spirit, put it in the mouth of all the prophets so they'll lie to you. Figure that one out. And so what did they do? He said, put Micaiah in prison. Because they stoned the prophets. So what happens? He gets put in jail. They go out to battle. Ahab is killed. He is killed in battle, just like the prophet said. And Jehoshaphat had the kingly regalia on. And he went out into battle. And they, the enemy army saw him. And they were after him. And he knew it. But the Bible says, he called on the Lord. And the Lord saved him. So Jehoshaphat 
knew at least enough to call on the Lord and the Lord would show up and answer. Amen? So in chapter 20, we pick up this story to where now maybe bolstered by their previous victory in chapter 19, the enemies of Israel come and surround Judah. And they think we'll take out Judah next. And here's what happens from the first verse. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and the others with them, besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. I want to talk about what we need to do when we're outnumbered and when it seems that all hope is lost. What do you do when you're outnumbered and it seems like all hope is lost? What do you do when things are not going your way? What do you, how do you survive the worst day of your life? How do you do that? How do you survive the worst day of your life? I mean, some of us in this room have probably had worse days than others. But I think all of us can say we've had a worse day. Right? All of us can say we've had a worse day somewhere in our history. And I'm just going to give you some steps here of how to survive the worst day of your life, what to do when you're outnumbered and all hope seems to be lost. First of all, Jehoshaphat did the greatest thing he could have done. He called a prayer meeting. He called a prayer meeting. He didn't reach out to Israel. He didn't reach out to other friends. He didn't call the other. Uh, sometimes they would play the power game and call the king of uh, Egypt or call the king of Syria or try to get a power play going on. He didn't do that. He knew enough about God to know that the answer was to call upon the Lord. So he set himself, the Bible says, to seek the Lord. He called a prayer meeting. He acknowledged in doing that, he acknowledged that he needed God's help and he wasn't able to do it on his own. And I think that's what God wants from us when we get in a, every day of our life, but especially when we get in those trying times. I think the Lord's just looking for us to call upon him. He's eager to help us. He's, he's absolutely wanting to help us in our trials. And all he wants us to do is call upon him and acknowledge we can't do it. I've told a lot of stories about H. Richard Hall because he was one of our mentors years ago and he used, to teach, he used to do this thing on prayer and he said, you know, everybody has their prayer method and some have books on prayer and all this but he said, I found the best, most effective way of praying is when I get to my wit's end and I just cry, help! When sometimes you cry out and it gets beyond the intellect it gets beyond your ability to fashion the theologically correct prayers. And it just comes from the cry of the heart. It comes out of the soul of man. And you just cry out to God and it seems like that's what rings heaven's bell. I don't know. Can somebody shout amen? Just cry out. It, you don't have to have a, a master's degree to know how to pray. You ha, you, all you have to have is a heart after God and an acknowledgement of your own weakness and His power to help you. So he called on God, and, and I never really analyzed this prayer, but I want you to look at what Jehoshaphat does. 
It says he's, in verse 3, he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim to fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of, Jer of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. So he goes to the temple and he leads the nation in prayer. And here's his prayer. He said, verse 6, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over the kingdoms, all the kingdoms of the earth? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? The first thing he does is he acknowledges how great God is. Jesus taught us the disciples' prayer. And he said, pray this way, our Father. Our Father. The first thing is to acknowledge how powerful he is. And in that, it really counterbalances how unable or weak we are to perform the things that we need Him to do. I often pray, God, come and do what we can't do. God, come and do what I can't do in my own strength. Amen? Many times I've prayed before I've preached, God, if you don't show up, I'm sunk. Hallelujah. I think it's a pretty good prayer myself. God, if you don't show up, I'm sunk here. You've got to show up. You're the one with all the power and all the authority. You rule over all the nations of the earth. You have these guys in your hand. You can turn it like that. You can raise someone up and take someone down. Then he comes in the next verse, verse 7, and he says, Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people and gave it to your des the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it, and you have built you a sanctuary in it for your name? Next thing he does is he remembers what God has done in the past. And when we come to prayer, I think it's so effective when we start to say, God, I thank you that you saved me. I thank you that you filled me with your spirit. I thank you that you've moved so many times for me before. I thank you that you touched me in 1985. I thank you that you touched me in 1986. I thank you that you touched me in 1987. I thank you that you touched me in 1991 and spoke to me prophetically. I thank you that you touched me in 2009 and spoke to me prophetically and changed my whole direction. On and on. God, I thank you. What's the point of all that? Because if you remind yourself of what he did... It brings faith in your heart to have faith for what He will do because the same God of 1985 is the same God of 2022. And Jehoshaphat's saying, Lord, you established this nation. You brought us out. And I, I, can, I can read between the lines and hear His heart. And God, if you did it then, certainly you can do it again right now. Come on, somebody raise your hand and say, God, do it right now in my time. Do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. And then he goes on down, and then he prays in verse 9. And here he goes back to the prayer of Solomon when Solomon dedicated the temple and what God spoke to Solomon at the dedication of the temple. So he prays, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple, and in your presence, for your name is this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. You remember that verse? We quote it often, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. We quote it a lot. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray 
and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That was a word given to Solomon as he was praying for the dedication of the temple. And God spoke to him, and he said, these people are going to turn away from me. But when they do, if you will call upon my name, I'll hear from heaven, and I will come and heal you. And I will do everything I've promised to you to do. So now he's reminding God of his promises. I'm telling you, when you come to prayer, remind God of the promises. Remind him of the, his will and testament. Remind him of what he's promised you to do. Hallelujah. I know I raised two girls, praise the Lord. And in raising those girls, if we promised them to go somewhere, they would hold us to the promise. I thought we were going to go to this certain place. Well, yeah, but things got kind of busy. But you said we were going to go to this certain place. And if me, being an imperfect father, knows how to give in to my daughters, how much more will a perfect father absolutely live up to every promise he's promised you and I in his word? Oh, come on somebody, shout hallelujah. He reminds God of the promises and then he brings him to the current need. Verse 10, And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. You see what they're doing, Lord? This is coming against your promises to us. And then he lays the hammer down. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. So he pulls out the stops here. God, come and judge them. They're coming against your word. And we don't have the power to stand against them. But Lord, one thing we know, our eyes are upon you. Come on somebody, shout hallelujah. Now all Judah with their little ones and their wives and their children stood before the Lord. They all stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came. The Spirit of the Lord came into the temple meeting, came into this prayer meeting, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon a prophet named Jehaziel. And Jehaziel was of the priestly caste. He was of the lineage of Aaron. And he was of the household of Asaph, who were the worship leaders in the temple. And out of the worship team came this young prophet. And he stood up and he began to prophesy in this prayer meeting. And here's what he says, because this is a word for some of y'all today. He said, do not be afraid or dismayed by cause of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Oh, hallelujah. Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but it is God's. Some of you have been carrying burdens that aren't yours to carry. You've been worrying about things that aren't in your power to control. 
You've been paying rent on stuff in your brain that may not even happen. You've been giving rental space out in your mind and spirit to things that's breaking you down and bringing you down. You've opened the door to depression and anxiety over things you should have turned to the Lord. And you're inviting all kinds of trouble in your family, in your marriage, and between your kids and your job because you're carrying stuff you were never intended to carry. Preach on, Brother Hans. Hallelujah. I come to tell you and break that mess off of you that the battle is not yours. The burden is not yours. Come on, it's not in your strength to make this thing happen. The battle is God's. It's in His power. It's within His ability to come down and correct and take care of and eliminate and to raise up and to heal and to mend everything that concerns you. Can somebody shout hallelujah this morning? Come on, raise your hand and say, Lord, I give it to you. So what happens next? Tomorrow, the prophet says, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Haven't we heard that before in Bible? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed once again. And this prophet was bold enough to declare it. For go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. You go into battle. God is with you. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Take courage. Believe God's going to take care of everything because you're not the one who has to fight. God is fighting on your behalf. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Come on, just do this. I'm casting my worries aside. Come on. Casting my worries aside. I'm casting anxiety and fear aside. And I'm turning it to the Lord this morning. And don't be like the man who is double-minded, who walks out of here and starts doubting what you committed to the Lord this morning. Because if you do that, James said, don't expect to get anything from God. If you're a double-minded man, don't expect anything from the Lord. But if you commit it to the Lord, then believe with all your heart that God is going to take control of it because I've noticed this in my life. I'll pray about something and I'll think it's happening and then if I hit a roadblock, then I'm challenged with, do I believe that God's going to do it or do I just say, well, He just didn't do it. So now I guess I have to take care of it myself. And I get in this crazy illogical battle with my own self. And sometimes maybe it just didn't happen because God wants to do something much greater and He wants to get much more glory out of it than what we can ever imagine because we can't think that far down the road. Well, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, commit it to the Lord. Cast it aside. Cast your care on Him for He cares for you. Roll all of your burdens onto Jesus. Approach the throne of grace boldly and make your petitions known. God is expecting us to come to Him and He loves it and delights in the fact that when we come to Him, we believe He can do everything He said He would do. So what happens in verses 16 and 17? They take this word from the prophet and they go and do it. So I'm telling you, when you're facing insurmountable objects, when you're surrounded and outnumbered, what do you do? Number one, set yourself to seek the Lord. Number two, do whatever He says do. Do whatever He says do. 
This can be words you receive in prayer, prophetic words you receive, scriptures God gives you, or just a knowing in your heart that this is what needs to happen next. But I encourage you, just do it. Come on, look at somebody and say, just do it. Because when you do what the Lord has said, it puts into motion everything He's going to do for your life. Years ago, I had a friend named William Ward. He was an Assemblies of God preacher, and he came and preached for me um, in the 90s in Chesapeake, and he was a, a wonderful man of God, very intelligent, two or three earned doctoral degrees, and he just he'd had visits to heaven, visions of hell, traveled 82 nations of the earth. I mean, just an amazing man. He wrote a book called Christian Cybernetics. And he, was a, he had a philosophy degree, so he was a, beautiful the way he would write things. This is a little book. And in it, the, I didn't know this, but cybernetics is the study of missile technology or torpedo technology or something like that. So anyhow, he had studied the old school torpedoes. That when the old school torpedoes were launched, they were launched in a certain direction, but then would ping and ping and ping and find their way to the target. You Navy guys know this much better than me. But they would ping and, and they had a sonar system or a guidance system that would take them to the target. He said that is exactly how God works in our lives. For God to start working in our lives, we need to get to moving. Because sometimes we sit and don't do anything and expect God to just give us the full download. Lord, I'm not moving till you give me the full blueprint of the next 43 years of my life. Then once I have that, I'll step out and do something. God doesn't work that way. He says, you just step out now and I'll give you the next step once you get into the deep. So just, and he would use these illustrations, God can't drive a parked car. You have to get the car in motion and then you learn how to move it. And you, you just got to get in motion and then God will give you the direction each step of the way. You think about Samuel. When Samuel went to, to, to Bethlehem to anoint the next king of Israel, he's Samuel. He's the guy that's getting, getting words of knowledge about Saul coming to him. He's the guy that's seeing things. He goes up to Saul and he knows what he's not done and how he not obeyed the Lord. This is the prophet of God. He's the guy that at, at, a, at a young age, God was calling him by name audibly. This is the man of God. But yet when he went to Bethlehem, he didn't know who the next king of Israel was. He just knew, I got to go to Bethlehem to Jesse's house. So what did he do? He knew enough about how to obey to God to do what God said. I'm going to go to Bethlehem to Jesse's house. He walks in and he says, um, don't let anyone know I'm here, but bring all of your sons out. Jesse brings all these sons out, and even Samuel said, surely this is the Lord's anointed when he looked at the oldest son. But then he took a step forward, and he realized this is not him. Even the prophet had to go step by step, son after son after son, till he eventually said, do you have any other sons? Because something's not matching up here. And finally Jesse said, well, there's one out in the field. It's David. And they brought him in. And Samuel knew, this is who I'm looking for. Step by step by step, do the next thing that God tells you to do. Do the next thing. If we get stuck, listen, this is a word for some people. If we get stuck in an old word and don't move on to the new word, you're not going to move into the next thing God has for you. 
What if Abraham, when he raised the knife over Isaac, would have kept with the old word, go upon Mount Moriah and sacrifice your son. And when he was getting ready to bring down the knife, the next word came. Hold it! Don't do that! And then he turned and he saw a ram caught in a thicket. I don't know about you, I want the next thing God says do. And I don't want to be caught in the old and stuck in a method that we're trying. I don't want to ride a dead horse. I don't want to stick with something just because I'm supposed to stick with it or it's been tradition or it's been the way I'm supposed to. I want to know what God is saying now. Come on, September 25, 2022. I want to know what God is saying now, God. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. So, so they're going to obey the word that dropped in the prophet's mouth at the prayer meeting. So what do they do? Notice what happens. Verse 18, and Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. This is a powerful picture. The king of Judah, standing in the courts of the Lord, gets on his face before God. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites, the priests, the son of the Kohathites, and of the children of the Korahites, stood up to praise the Lord, stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel, with voices loud and high. Some versions say that differently, but the emphasis is on loud. Somebody says we shouldn't be loud in church. You go. I'm going to be loud in church when I want to be loud in church. Because I come and I need some Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm going to let my voice raise and shout if I want to shout and dance if I want to dance. Hallelujah. Why not, man? They did it all through the Bible. Why are we thinking we live in an intellectualized Western society that's highly advanced and now we're too smart to praise God with passion? We're too cool to let our voices be known? Come on, we're too sophisticated to get emotional? Come on, loudly praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, when you need an answer from God, go ahead and raise your voice. Get prostrate on your face before God and cry out to the Lord. Loudly lift your voice and let your praise be known unto heaven. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Man, I get stoked when I read this. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went, Jehoshaphat stood and said, here's the king's commandments. Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe in His prophets, and you shall prosper. He knew enough to know when God spoke prophetically, that is what we must do and I'm going to receive it. I'm not going to be a skeptic. I'm going to receive what the Lord has said. I could go off right here because I've noticed so many people. I've come up in church for many. I got saved when I was 16. And I've seen faithful, spiritual people who accept things easily are the ones who move the fastest in the kingdom things. It seems to me. They can just receive the word and go with it. They're not sitting here in skepticism and doubt for several years trying to figure out if that was all God or not. They receive the word and they go for it. Well, that's another sermon series. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe His prophets and you shall prosper. Now notice this, verse 21. 
And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord. They're in battle array. Swords and shields. Arrows. Ready to go to battle. And he consults with the leadership. And he says, where are the singers? Y'all didn't hear me. I'm going to preach over to this crowd here. He said, where are the singers? Where's the worship team? And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing unto the Lord, who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. And they were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Can you imagine this army coming after you? Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know if they kind of had that, you know, liturgical. Praise the Lord, his mercy endures. Or if they had some gospel in there. Praise the Lord. I don't know what it was like, but whatever it was like, I like it. Hallelujah. I don't think style matters. The heart matters. Come on, somebody. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. God, we're sunk if you don't show up. If you don't step onto the battlefield, we're going to die anyhow. So we might as well go into the fire praising you. Hallelujah. The same God who brought us out to take us in can take us in and bring us out. The same God who rescued us from Egypt can surely rescue us today on this battlefield. Woo! Somebody shout hallelujah. Oh my God. So what do you do when you're outnumbered and surrounded? Praise, 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 praise. Praise your way out. Praise until heaven opens. Praise God when you don't feel like it. Praise Him with a loud voice. Turn off all the junk in your house and turn on some worship music. Come on, change the atmosphere. Change the atmosphere of your family. Change the atmosphere that you're riding down the road in your car. Get some stuff that connects with your spirit. Get around some people who encourage you to worship and praise. Come to breaking barriers and let the Word of God break out that stuff in your heart. Come on. Praise. 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 Praise your way out. Come on somebody shout hallelujah. Oh hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on shout hallelujah. Come on just shout it out. Hallelujah. It's the highest praise Lord. Hey, 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 hey. Lord have mercy. Okay. Then they began to sing. When they began to sing, when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes. When they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes. When they, the Lord, when you give it over to Him, the Lord starts working. When you start praising Him, God gets in the mix of what you're doing and starts setting ambushes for your enemies. Oh, hallelujah. Well, somebody just say, go on. Go on, Pat. The Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. When the people began to praise, 
They were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they helped destroy one another. They helped destroy one another. God arranged the, the situation to where the armies attacked each other. They devoured each other. Oh, hallelujah. So when Judah, verse 24, came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and guess what they saw? Dead bodies. No one had escaped. They praised their way right into a victory. They praised their way right into a valley of defeated foe. Notice what happens next. When Jehoshaphat, verse 25, and his people came to take away their spoil, <laughs> they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they had stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. Not only did God defeat their enemies, God loaded them down with wealth. I believe God wants to bless us more than we can comprehend. They went into the battle shaking in their boots. God, if you don't show up, we're sunk. And God shows up and does exceedingly, abundantly, above all they could ask or think. He showed up and did more than they could imagine and plan out. And so what happens? Verse 29 or verse 26. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Berechah. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of that place was the valley of Berechah to this day. The interesting thing about that is Berechah means blessing. And there's a play on words here in the Hebrew. They showed up and blessed the Lord and it was called the valley of blessing. They showed up and blessed the Lord and it was called the Valley of Blessing. Maybe I'm pushing the hermeneutic too far, but I think we need to start blessing some things and blessing God over some things and He'll turn those battles into victories and places of blessing for us. Oh, come on, somebody shout hallelujah. And then they went back into the city with a victory parade and celebration. So the thing began with a prayer meeting ended with a victory celebration and they didn't have to fire an arrow, pull a sword out, strike any other person. God did it all for them because they got their eyes off of the circumstances and put their eyes on the Lord of hosts. The issue is, you need to get your eyes off your circumstances. And you need to get your eyes fixed back on Jesus. Come on somebody, if Jesus is not good enough, I can't help you. Hallelujah. But don't be like Peter who started walking on the water and then he turned around and he got his eyes on the winds and on the waves and he began to sink. As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was all right. Somebody shout amen. Don't be like Jonah who ran from the word of the Lord and wouldn't do the word of the Lord, but yet when he was swallowed by the whale in the depths of the sea, the Bible says he wasn't swallowed immediately by the fish, but he went down to the caverns of the mountains and he went down to the depths of the sea and he was strangled and encircled by seaweed and at that moment in his heart he said Lord you get me out of this and I will praise you I will 
obey the vow of praise that I've committed unto you. And then God had a fish come along and swoop him up and spit him out. And when that man came out on the shores, he's like, Where's, where am I going? Where am I preaching tonight? <laughs> Bless God, get me there right now. He came out ready to do it. And a vow of praise brought him out of death and out of the point of Hades, the Bible says. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. I think of Paul and Silas who were in the inner prison in, uh, on Macedonia in Philippi for preaching the gospel and they could have just gotten their eyes on the circumstances and become depressed and said, I'm not preaching anymore. If this is what ministry's about, I'm quitting now. I'm taking an early retirement and I'm going back to the shores of Israel and hanging out. But that's not what they did. But the Bible says about midnight, Paul and Silas began to pray and they began to sing praises unto God they began to fix their eyes on Jesus and as they fixed their eyes on Jesus God heard from heaven came down with an earthquake shook the prison bars every man's bonds were loose every prison door was loose they came out with the victory because they fixed their eyes on Jesus come on somebody shout hallelujah in here this morning our problem is we don't fix our eyes on the Lord enough. We try to figure it out. We try to work it out. We try to counsel it out. This morning God is reminding us, I am the Lord God and I am the Almighty and I am able to do everything that I've committed unto you. Fix your eyes on me. Let me come in and do what no man can do. Let me come in and make a victory out of an insurmountable situation. Come on, if you believe that, give the Lord praise in it. Come on, we're going to praise our way out right now. Come on. Some of you are walking through battles. I want you to forget about who's around you. I want you to close your eyes and lift your hands right now and say, God, I give you praise. God, I give you honor. I give you glory right now, God. I might be in a bad situation, but God, you're the Lord of all the bad. Hallelujah. I might have some bills to pay, but you're the God who can provide where there seems to be no way. Hallelujah. My family's in a mess, but God, you promised me that you would save me and my household. And God, I'm going to worship. I'm going to praise. I'm going to put you in the proper place this morning. Come on, somebody lift your voice. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching and listening to the podcast. And I hope these sermons have been a great blessing and source of encouragement to your life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing today, Jesus is the answer. I can tell you, He is the answer for your life. I'd love to pray with you before we leave here. So if you never accepted Christ into your life, or if you just have a need in your life, let's lift it up to the Lord right now. Come on, pray with me. Lord Jesus, wash me from all sin. I accept you into my life. I repent of all sin, and I place you on the throne seat of my heart. Lord, I pray right now, you minister to each and every one who just prayed that short prayer with me. Whatever situation they're facing, give them grace right now. Give them the power they need to get through it, Lord. Give miracle signs and wonders today, Lord, to those listening in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We declare it done in Jesus' name. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in and listening and watching us.